0: Everybody loves dick around the league. Hi, I'm Zach Booth, and this is Out of the Closet Sports, your weekly sports podcast where we talk about all things sports from the gay perspective. Yeah, here we are, episode seven. I'm having so much fun doing this podcast. It is really a joy. I love looking up the stories that we are going to talk about. I love finding interesting guests that will come on here and talk about those stories. The whole thing has just been a real labor of love for me. I'm glad that everybody's enjoying it as much as I am. And I figured if you all are giving me this much joy, I should give you something back. So, I've listened to all your emails. I've taken all of your fan input, all of your comments on the Instas and the TikTokery and whatnotery. I even heard from Taylor Swift herself, and she said, and all of you have said, that the one guest that you want on this podcast more than any other is Zach Booth. That's right, it's me. I am your special guest for this week. I will be talking to myself, of myself, about myself. Nope, that's not true. <laughs> we'll be talking about a lot of other things that are not myself, but I did think it might be interesting to give you all a bit of an idea of who I am and how I found my way into this chair here on Out of the Closet Sports. I am not, by any measure, a a professional athlete, a semi-professional athlete. I sometimes tease with Jacob that I am a semi-pro gay softball player because I spend so much time in the summer and the fall playing softball. But softball was something I came to, as I've talked about in the podcast, later in life. When I was younger, the first sport that I think I was really drawn to was soccer. I was a big soccer player when I was a kid, and I loved it. I have this core memory, though, of being a young soccer player, and I existed on the field, but I didn't, and and I was aware that there were people around me on the field that were really good soccer players, and I did not think I was one of them. And one day after a game, I guess I was upset, I don't know how the conversation started, but I can picture sitting in the backseat of the car with my mom and my dad, my mom was in the passenger seat, my dad was driving, I was sitting in the back seat, probably in a booster seat. I was that young, and I—I I guess I was upset. I don't know. I don't know how I was feeling, but I—I I don't think it went well, because my mother said to me, "Zach, do you not think you're a good soccer player?" I, and I—I I think I—I I don't know. I must have been complaining about something. I'm always complaining, but I think I was reflecting to her that there were kids on the field that were so good at soccer and I thought that they were like the stars of the team and my mom said to me well Zach everybody thinks you're one of the really good players on the team and you always run so hard and so fast and you're always chasing the ball you never give up everybody on the sidelines is always talking about oh there's Zach he's still chasing the ball he never gives up And that moment really gave me an identity as a soccer player. And it's an identity that I carried with me until I stopped playing soccer competitively at the end of high school. I was always going to chase the ball. And I was always going to try my best. I think that's why I ended up being a midfielder. I was a lefty. So there was always there's always room on the left side of the field in soccer, at least where I grew up. Uh, There were not a lot of lefties. And I loved to chase the ball. And That little bit of confidence that my mom gave me, that little bit of identity shift, that little bit of perspective shift enabled me to be such a better and stronger soccer player. And I think that maybe I'm wondering if that level of support, if that level of positive enforcement is what's missing for a lot of queer people in sports. In my circle of friends of queer people, there are not a lot of people that are sports fans, right? I think that's why this Out of the Closet Sports is sort of a niche podcast. Maybe it's not a very common thing in queer spaces to hear people talking about sports. I was surprised when I got to Big Apple Softball League to see how many people there were playing sports and how many people were talking about it and and how positive the community was, how much energy there was behind it. There are like gay themed sports. Well, they're gay bars. I shouldn't say they're gay themed. They're sports themed gay bars here in New York. And my experience of those is they really have a lot less to do with the watching of sport and interaction of sport uh, than I would like them to. But that's okay. I mean, they're they're great bars. I go to them. I have a lot of fun. It just got me thinking why maybe this somehow contributes to the exclusion of queer people in sports. And uh, I started thinking about other sports that I play. I'm a tennis player. I've always loved playing tennis. When I was younger, uh, I got really passionate about tennis. I went to a summer camp that offered us a lot of opportunity to play tennis. And when we had free time, I had a good friend who loved to play tennis. And we would always be out there three, four hours on a Sunday morning, just hitting the ball, having the best time. I went to a sort of professional training academy in North Carolina at one point while we were on a vacation, and the instructor there was so impressed with how I played as a young teen and that I was a lefty who also was pretty right-hand dominant. Like, I throw righty, I play softball righty, but I play tennis lefty. It's kind of curious how that is. I'm not purely ambidextrous, but I do have ability in both hands. And so that tennis instructor was like, you could be a really great tennis player. I can teach you to serve with both hands. Anyway, there was positive enforcement there. But tennis really was a solo sport. Um, You know, baseball is a sport that I I played when I was really young. I've talked about it here. I got turned off to it when I was told that I threw like a girl. Um, I think that kind of like negativity that kind of questioning of like my masculinity even at such a young age when I didn't really understand what that was really turned me off I also I loved basketball like basketball to this day like if I'm gonna just go well not to this day I guess I don't play much basketball anymore but all through high school and through college if there was a sport that I was just going to go pick up and play for fun, it was basketball. I played so much basketball in high school, just in my driveway with my friends, by myself, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just loved playing basketball. But I didn't ever play on the team after our modified basketball team in middle school. I remember this girl saying, wow, look at the modified boys. Like, none of them have any hair under their arms. And I don't know. Like, I I guess I'm just like... Theorizing out loud, what do I know? I just have my experience to bring to the table. But it feels to me like in the places in athletics where I encountered anything that resembled like toxicity around masculinity, around my gender, um, around gender period, uh, I was really turned off. And the sports that I gravitated towards were sports that I could play on my own or a sport where I had this like really deep core memory of positive reinforcement, where my identity in that sport was clearly defined. And I guess what I'm, <laughs> what I'm theorizing here out loud in my long intro to my solo episode of Out of the Closet Sports, that that, that to me seems like it has a lot to do with why queer people feel excluded in, in athletics and why as, as adults, uh, as we develop, as we develop our own identity, it is less common, in my experience, it is less common that queer spaces are places where people talk about sports. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess it just gives me it gives me some hope to think that as these places develop. I mean, we've talked about some some young people, some brave young people in previous episodes. Uh, but as these spaces develop and open up that maybe the, uh, there will be more queer safety in sports, more engagement. You know, I I didn't come out of the closet until I was 21, 22. Uh, I was after college, probably 22, 23. By the time I was 23, I was like fully out in a relationship, that sort of thing. Uh, but I was having experiences as young as, as you know, middle school. Uh, I was aware of my attraction to men. And um, I, I think... Also, as I developed, um, my ability to exist in places that felt a little bit toxic became restricted, and I, I also remember being queer and being really enticed by by male energy on the sports fields. Like I even remember sitting like in certain places, um, in like stretching circles with my soccer team because I was attracted and interested in like, people's legs and like where their shorts met their legs, you know, I found it to be uh, really, I don't want to say it was a turn on, because it's not like I was sitting there in practice on the soccer field getting turned on. But I was definitely interested. And I I wanted to be in a place where I could sort of explore other people's bodies with my eyes without, uh, without them knowing. But I was brave enough to do that on the soccer field. And again, I think that was maybe just because I had developed the strong identity as a talented soccer player. And that gave me the sort of confidence to, to be myself in that space, or at least not fully be myself, but at least be comfortable that I wouldn't get challenged. And in the places where I felt like I had been challenged, in the places where I felt like I'd been seen and hadn't measured up, I chose to just not be there any longer. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with Development and adolescence, and it's probably something that straight people deal with. I'm sure it's something that that people across the gender and sexuality spectrums deal with. But I wanted to open up to you all a little bit about who I am, how I came to be involved in sports, and how I came to understand my sexuality. And in that in that discovery, uh, in that exploration, I should say, inside of myself, I came to this little mini conclusion take it for what you will. I uh, it, it felt pretty profound to me. It's kind of simple, but also pretty spectacular. And I hope that um, our listeners feel a little more connected to me now after listening to this couple of minutes of me rambling on about myself. As I said, I love this podcast. I think it's it's really special. And I look forward to continuing to work on it, to continue to make it better, to bring you all more interesting stories, and to stay on the cutting edge of queer athletes existing across the world. If you have any feedback or any comments, you can always find us on the socials at Out of the Closet Sports. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends. Please subscribe. Please listen to every episode when you have the time. You can even listen to it at one and a half times. I find that my voice is is pretty pleasing when you speed it up. But if you go to two times, I think it just gets a little crazy and nasally. All right, we'll be back. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. How are you feeling, Zach? Great. I'm doing I'm doing really great. Thanks for asking. How are you doing, Zach? Oh, I'm also feeling pretty good. Thank you. Do you need water or anything now? I'm good. How about you? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Some tea? I've got some right here, actually. Thanks so much. All right. So I thought it would be fun this episode to sort of do a take on our two minute drill that we introduced a couple of weeks ago. And instead, we'll just do an around the sports world, a little update of things that I find queer or queer adjacent in the headlines around the sports world. So, first up, I want to talk about the NBA and James Harden. James Harden is a polarizing figure. You talk to sports fans, basketball fans about James Harden, you're going to get a lot of opinions. So, just for those who aren't aware, a little recap, but James Harden this week was traded to the Clippers from the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't think that James Harden is gay. But the drama, the drama of James Harden is definitely queer adjacent. So, he he had said that he wanted to be traded at the end of last season, right? I think uh, the big issue in, in Philadelphia is that they get these great teams together, but they never get as far as they want to get. They never get to the championship. Last year, I don't even think they made it to the Eastern Conference Championship, and that was an issue, right? So he said that he wanted to be traded. It was sort of known throughout the NBA that he was going to be traded. And then in August, he had failed to be traded yet, and the team ended trade talks. So the team, I think the GM, his name is Daryl Morey. So he and and James Harden had a relationship from James Harden's time in Houston, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But they have a relationship. Allegedly, they had a really good relationship. Daryl Morey was one of the first people to believe in in James Harden as a star, according to the press. But, you know, we all know that's biased. And so when these trade talks broke down from Philadelphia trying to get rid of Harden... I can't. (laughs) James Harden did an interview. So good. I think he was in China. And he fully just called out Daryl Morey and said, Daryl Morey is a liar. And I will never play on a team that Daryl Morey is the GM of. And, I mean, like, anyone that follows professional sports knows that, like, there's this, like, decorum, you know, that they all have. Like, there's this way that they talk about each other they're always looking out for their brand. They're always looking out for the NBA brands, right? The NBA is always trying to insulate uh, the, the players and make sure that, like, any real strife is sort of kept from the public. It's all, like, generated nonsense that they like to be leaked, so this was definitely not something that anybody wanted out there. It was, well, it was not, well, James Harden wanted it out there, but certainly uh, the 76ers and certainly the NBA did not want it out there. And I just love the fact that he was like international at the time. And and that also is great because the, the American sports press, I mean, I don't read a lot of international sports press to be fair, but the internet, the, the national sports press here in the United States is so clickbaity. It's just as bad as Fox News, CNN, political, drag you in with a nasty headline. Like today I was looking at ESPN's Instagram and it it was just a, the Knicks lost to the Box last night and it was just a picture of uh, Julius Randle when Jalen Brunson missed the final shot. So Jalen Brunson did, you know, one of his like sort of mid-court swoopy innie dribbly that's an official gay sporty language for those of you that aren't recognizing it uh he did his like traditional little thing and he missed the shot and then james uh julius randall was obviously like not thrilled about it but like the NBA, the espn excuse me instagram just like did this video and had an arrow just pointing at julius randall's head and it's like look at that shrug and julius was had made himself open beyond the three-point line and he just sort of like threw his hands up but it was like It wasn't that deep. It wasn't that dramatic. And obviously, like, any star player, when they're open, is going to want the ball in those critical moments of the game. I'm sure that Julius Randle wasn't, like, you know, that mad. I just think, anyway, they're so clickbaity. So the fact that he did this, Internationally, I also think was like a really bold and important move and an important message that he was saying. Like, I'm not going to say it over here in this like echo chamber of nonsense. I'm going to be out of the country where maybe there's going to be more accurate reporting and I'm going to go for it. And he went for it. And so then, you know, whatever. Obviously, it exploded. There was like a mini explosion, but nothing much was said. And the season started, he didn't practice, he didn't come to any of those training camps, and then he didn't play. And there's a new rule in the NBA now because so many teams sit their stars and it's really like a big ripoff for the people that like pay the money to go to the games. You're like, oh sure, I'm here, but Giannis isn't playing or Jokic isn't playing, whatever. And and so there was noise around him not playing, that they were gonna get fined even though it had nothing to do with him sitting for minutes. The reason, sorry, they're resting these people is because they want them to have more energy at the end of the season. It's a long season, the NBA, and the playoffs go on forever. So they want these players to be fresh. So They they let them sit during the season. The NBA is saying no, no. So there's all this drama about that. And then in the middle of the night, the, the just the other day, he gets traded to the Clippers. And I just, I mean, so dramatic. So now he's going to be out on the Clippers. He's going to be playing with Kawhi Leonard, who I think is still arguably one of the best players in the NBA. He just hasn't had, like, an insane season in a while. But he, like, single-handedly took the Toronto Raptors to the NBA championship. So I, I don't know. I think we have to, like, you know, stand, you know. Like, he's insane. And with Harden, and and I forget, they have, I, I think Russell Westbrook is on that team. Oh, God, I should know. I mean, this is Shame on me having a sports podcast and not getting the trade. It's either Russell Westbrook or or, or Paul George, but whatever. They have some weapons there for sure. And so I'm really excited about it. But of course, all the articles are coming out just like trashing James Harden for being a selfish player, for saying that he's always forcing himself out of bad situations, whatever it is. You know, he had before he was in Philly, I think he was only there for two seasons before that he was in Brooklyn, where he was paired up with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and he requested a trade from there. Now, that was in part because Kyrie Irving wasn't playing, because he had not gotten vaccinated, and so he wasn't allowed to play in the state of New York, so there was all this drama. But also, the year before, Harden had been injured, I think only played 30-something games, so they had never really gotten a chance to make it work, right? And now, he was like, well, let's blow this experiment up. So that that left a sour taste in people's mouth, that like that experiment never really got to to run, you know? But of course, they like blame the players, right? They, God forbid they blame a coach or they blame a management or anything like that. They got to blame the players. And and before he was in Brooklyn, he had played eight seasons in Houston, but that sort of ended kind of poorly. Um, there was like a little bit of, of drama that he had with, whoever was the, gosh, I can't remember any of this, whoever was the, maybe that's where Paul George was, whoever was the 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 other guard that they had, I think, oh, I could be getting this all wrong, in Houston, but he was there for a long time, and that's where he was with Daryl Morey. But basically, we're saying, here's a player who like forced his way out of Houston, forced his way out of New Jersey, forced his way out of Philadelphia, and now he's at the Clippers. And I just love the drama of it, and people are coming down on him so hard. And what what I really, like, the thing that bothers me the most about all of this is they want to talk all this trash about, about Harden, right? Okay, he was on OKC originally with Durant and Westbrook in their prime as like young guns. They had the three of them. They went, I think, all the way to the Western Conference finals and Harden won the Sixth Man of the year and they didn't keep that team together. OKC didn't want to give him the money. They didn't want to give him the bag, Right. They had three hometown, I don't know they were homegrown, but these were young guys on early contracts that were all on the same team. You would be hard pressed to get them on a team together now. They had them and they didn't want to pay them. So whose fault is that? Okay. And all I want to say is, uh, in reference to James Harden and why I think this is queer adjacent, knowing your worth, right, and wanting to be in a, a supportive community of your friends being like unbothered while people talk trash about you in the news and and question your existence, right? They're questioning his decision making as if any of us have any business questioning James Harden's basketball decisions. All of that to me is next level evolved queer behavior, right? Who knows better than us about needing to go find a community where we're accepted with people who love us, right? And doing all of it while rocking a really fierce beard. So James Harden, amazing. That was not much of a two-minute drill. I got really into it. But I just am obsessed with this story, and I'm obsessed with him as a villain. I'm obsessed with all the vilified players in the NBA because it's just such nonsense to me. Like, these, these people are allowed to be businessmen. They're allowed to make as much money as they want to make. They're only taking a small fraction of what these teams are making and what the league is making off of them. So, bye-bye. And we know that the league and the teams are controlling the press, so they're obviously running smear campaigns behind their backs. It's trash. Over to the NFL, the Taylor drama has died down a little bit, but I just want everybody to go over to Max Crosby's Instagram, Max with two X's. He has an Instagram post from September 14th, and I need you to watch it, and I need you to tell me that he shouldn't spell his name with three X's. So, when Papa and I did our fantasy team, I... I went on to uh, this table that I found online that basically listed how active all these NFL players were on social media. And Max Crosby had the highest levels of engagement, like almost of anyone in the NFL. He posts a lot. And not long after we picked our teams, this video popped up, and it is the most pornographic adjacent instagram story i really have ever seen i mean they're and like they're so serious and they don't get it at all this barber like this like young cute guy with like a little haircut is ringing rings his doorbell and like sexy max crosby comes to the door and the guy's like hey you know you want a haircut <laughs> max crosby's like oh this is crazy but i guess i'll let you in And then he lets him in, and he's, like, cutting his hair. And, like, you know, you're cutting hair. You're in somebody's face. And he's like, so tell me about yourself. And Max Crosby's like, well, yeah, man, like this and that and football, and I'm sober. And the guy's like, oh, that's so cool. Here, let me, like, get the edge of your beard. It's wild. I hope you enjoy it. And now let's pivot over to U.S. soccer. So Colin Martin, who uh, is an out male soccer player who plays professionally in the US. He's the last professional out male athlete in the US by my count after Carl Nassib retired, which also we have to say Papa called it. Uh, We were talking one day about it. And he said to me, girl, look at Carl's Instagram. He's on a vacation with his partner right now. He's not playing in the NFL anymore. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I guess not. Anyway, so I think Collins the the last one standing, and he was on the San Diego Loyal Football Club, I think is what they're called, and that team is shutting down. So I hope he finds a home. I don't know. Does that mean there's just going to be no more gay males playing professional sports in the U.S.? We'll see. Wouldn't be the first time. shouldn't say no more out gay males. And uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on is the gay games, which we talked about. They're going on now. So by the time this episode airs, they'll be almost done. But uh, they run November 3rd through 11th. There's a website. You can look at what's happening. It gives you a schedule of the games. And uh, it's really exciting. They're in Guadalajara and in Hong Kong. There's lots of events. It's really thrilling. I hope everybody can tune in. And I hope you've enjoyed this Around the World of Sports 2-Minute Drill which was way longer than two minutes. But hey, did you have fun, Zach? Yeah, I had a great time. And we're back. Y'all, there is a story that broke that feels like gay Christmas. It feels like a gay Super Bowl. And that's something I never really understood because often people talk about what the gay Super Bowl would be. But I think often the gay Super Bowl is the halftime show But I also feel like people are saying that something else is the gay Super Bowl, like maybe the finale of Drag Race. Unclear to this gay sports fan. But I will say that there have been many iconic, queer-adjacent, gay-gag Super Bowl shows. I mean, we all know the one that will forever rank as the greatest was Beyonce when she literally... Broke the stadium. Uh, We have to bow down to the queen. We also know that we had Janet Jackson. They did her so dirty. Her nipple. Justin Timberlake. Anyway, that was a mess. That was a gay crime to the way that they tried to come for Janet Jackson after that. For a wardrobe malfunction. And even if it wasn't a wardrobe malfunction, still, how are we coming for her? For showing her nipple? Whatever these people are insane. We've talked about it before. There have been tons and tons of iconic, I mean, Gaga, everyone wants to talk about Gaga. I personally, ooh, ready? This is where the hate mail comes in. I personally, she doesn't always do it for me, but she is an icon. She puts her neck out there for the community. And that Super Bowl, um, the the thing where she did the, the national anthem, and she's like, jumped off the side of the stadium. Like, I, it just was a miss for me. But that is not to say that Gaga is not incredibly talented and a huge, huge, huge ally of the queer community. So we on Out of the Closet Sports, the royal we, will not be saying anything disparaging about Lady Gaga. Just that that one performance didn't work for us. But for most gays, I'm sure that it did. So all of this talk about gay Super Bowls, gay halftimes, whatever it is, Dolly... Parton. That's right. Dali Parton. The reason that I have the Moderna COVID vaccine pulsing through my veins, because I don't know if everybody knows, but apparently she did give some money to one of those universities that played a part in developing the Moderna vaccine. And so just for that reason, because that's how I'm wired. And also Jacob was the same way. Uh, we went and made sure that we got Moderna doses and Moderna boosters, and if they're available, I will go get one now. Yeah, so that's that's a good thing to point out. If you haven't gotten boosted and gotten your flu shot, go get it. It's here, the winter. Anyway, Dolly, <laughs> this is so good. She's doing a halftime show, but it's not for the Super Bowl. It is for this this Thanksgiving game, the Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington Commanders on November twenty third, and I am thrilled i like this is exactly what i want this is the way that the nfl can become a more queer friendly place this is how they do it they get people like dolly parton to give a concert in the middle of the game right i mean just come on it would be so i mean it's gonna be so good anyway uh the hollywood reporter put out this really really cool article about her So I literally just paused the recording to go and double check that it was, in fact, the Hollywood Reporter that put out the article. Because I didn't want to give the wrong credit. But yeah, it was the Hollywood Reporter. Um, They published an article with... It's a great interview. Lots of great questions are asked. But one of the things they talk about is the Super Bowl. And apparently, um, she did turn down the Super Bowl halftime show, according to her, many times. And she's just so humble. I mean, Dolly is... Really, a perfect human. She doesn't, she said that she doesn't think she's ever done anything with that big of a production. So, like Dolly Parton, right, who has, I think, 10 Grammys and the second most Grammy nominations, second to only Beyonce for uh, female identifying performers, Dolly thinks that the production value of the Super Bowl is maybe too big for her right? Dolly, who gave us like some of the most iconic songs of our lifetimes, thinks that the Super Bowl is too big for her. I also just want to reflect that for the first time ever on Out of the Closet Sports, I just sneezed. So I look forward to editing that out. So yeah, Dolly's turned down the Super Bowl, but she didn't turn down this um, halftime show. And it's because she has a new album coming out called Rockstar that debuts on November seventeenth, And it is a rock album. She's like very clear that she doesn't want this to be watered down country. She wants it to be a rock album. So I'm excited for that. I will certainly be purchasing said album. Although I kind of want it on vinyl because I want everything Dolly on vinyl. But yeah. So anyway, read this article on The Hollywood Reporter though. I want to I read some parts of it because I think they're fascinating. Um, there is a quote in there from Taylor Swift that I just think is is beautiful. She says, Taylor, Dolly is a force of evolution and transformation in our industry, but she does it with such playful levity it almost looks effortless. Her sense of humor and mischief are easily my favorite things about her because I think it forces the world to reconcile that a woman can be a serious artist and writer who also has raucous fun with it, can make people laugh, and be in on every joke. She never stops challenging herself to clear new hurdles and explore new territory artistically, and I think that speaks to her great curiosity about the human condition. She's a legendary empath and the storyteller for the ages. She's also having the most fun doing it. I mean, could we love Taylor anymore? She gave us an excellent episode. She gave us Melissa Rose Hirsch. And now she's giving us this great quote about Dolly Parton. And I think she's right. Like, I've watched Dolly interviews on repeat over and over and over again, whenever she starts clicking her nails and, and doing her nine to five, you know, anytime she talks about I will always love you and the journey of that song and, and how it found its way to Whitney Houston and hearing the recording of it. I think that's the story she tells where she said she'd never heard the recording of it until it was on the radio. Also, uh, we've talked about Billie Jean King and how she was groundbreaking and getting pay equity uh, Dolly Parton is another one of those people that belonged in that category, just because she was able to get a huge amount. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of like butcher the specifics of this because I, I should have written it down, but I, there's something about like 50% of the credit into an album, right? Often artists are exploited by their producers or by their record labels, and they only get a small part of every dollar that is made off of the music that they're creating. But Dolly was really smart and intentional and used her power and her skill and probably used her humor to make sure that she got a huge percentage of all of the money that came in from the music that she was making. And I think that's incredible. I mean, it's like, you know, very, very Michael Jordan. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie Air, I highly recommend it. Um I know I'm not supposed to be talking about movies during the strike, but it, it's really cool. And uh, they they go into the way that the, the royalty structure was established for Michael Jordan's Air Jordan line with Nike. And it's really exciting and thrilling, and I have to say shocking to find out who was behind it. He's got a little Dolly Parton hanging out with him as well. So all of you, while you are sitting with your family at these awkward Thanksgiving dinners, and everybody, you know, everybody, right, the the traditional football watchers stumble into the living room after the meal and start downing their, you know, well, not Bud Light anymore, but they start drinking their junky beer, and they're sitting in front of the TV watching that game. You wander your way right in there, and you sit down right in front of that television. You don't have to do it from the beginning, but There's a first quarter and then a second quarter, and when that second quarter ends, that's halftime. And you sit right in front of that TV, and you enjoy that Dolly Parton concert. You enjoy that gay gift that she's given you on Thanksgiving. If that's not something to be thankful for, I don't know what is. The other reason that I wanted to bring this up is because in this article in The Hollywood Reporter, she also talks a little bit about these anti-trans bills in Tennessee. And you know, Dolly is somebody that has been famously non-political. She's a religious person, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the Taylor Swift episode. That sometimes these people who come up in more in in worlds of music that are uh, I, I don't know how to say what I'm thinking here that they come up in a world where the culture is more traditional, more conservative, more religious, right? Like country music that it's really hard for those people like Taylor Swift to find the strength to stand out on their own when they feel at odds with what is the overwhelming message coming out of that cultural movement that they're a part of. This one being country music, which is very much like, you know, you're not going to take my guns. You know, I get to do what I want. This land is my land. You know, gay people are going to hell. Whatever it is, right? Um, That because they're getting they're making a living off of these people engaging with their music they have to be really careful and and i for one feel like dolly has been too careful at times over the years as much as i really admire her i do think that her voice could have really been a louder voice for change over the years but when you do the research you find out that her her money is going to the right places and she's an ally and an advocate behind-the-scenes to a lot of her close queer friends. She sets a great example. In this article, uh, the question they asked was, you live in Tennessee, and earlier this year, the state passed a bill that allows for discrimination against trans people. You have a large gay following. You've supported the community. But what are your thoughts on this bill? Well, she says, what I always say, I just want everybody to be treated good. I try not to get into into the politics of everything. Ugh. I try to get into the human element of it. Okay. I have some of everybody in my own immediate family and in my circle of employees. I've got transgender people. I've got gays. I've got lesbians. I've got drunks. I've got drug addicts. All within my own family. I know and love them all, and I do not judge. And I just see how brokenhearted they get over certain things, and I know how real they are. I know how important this is to them. That's who they are. They cannot help that any more than I can help being Dolly Parton you know, the way people know me. If there's somebody to be judged, that is God's business. But we are all God's children, and how we are is who we are. That's a lot, right? Uh, I want to take apart this statement and just say that the equating of gender identity and sexuality to alcoholism and drug addiction I think that's problematic, and I do think that that is is not fair. And I think it is good that she stands behind people that exist in all of those communities, but I don't think that it is appropriate the way that she put all of those things together to say like, you know, I like everybody. You should, you should love everybody, but I I think you need to be able to see that somebody's sexuality, somebody's gender identity. I got to be careful here because I don't want to say that somebody's drug addiction and somebody's alcoholism uh, is their fault, right? I don't want to say that it's their choice because what we know about alcoholism and what we know about a lot of addiction is it's not people's choice, right? But it is it is I think I just think these things should be should be kept in, in separate places. I really do. I think by by equating uh, alcoholism as a disease and by equating Uh, somebody's gender or somebody's sexuality with a disease, you are basically saying that it is a disease or implying that it is a disease to be gay or a disease to be transgender. And I think that's maybe not what Dolly intended, but I just want to flag that that does not sit well with me. But what does sit well with me is the second part where she says she knows how real they are. I think for somebody in Dolly Parton's World with Dolly Parton's influence, with Dolly Parton's audience to acknowledge that human beings are real. Human beings, transhuman beings whose identities have been denied, are actively being denied by their government, by their families, often by their own communities. For, for her to say those words that they are real and that this is important to them And that this is who they are. And that they cannot change who they are any more than she can change being Dolly Parton. I think it's really important. I have a hard time with the follow-up about like it's God's business to judge everybody. You know, I always feel like that just, it's just like we're just doing so well. And then you just drag us back down into the pit with you. But I'm a spiritual person. And I do believe that there is a universal spirit that I can't quite describe. Um, and if that doesn't gel with you, that's cool. Like everybody's entitled. This is just what helps me get through the day. You know what I mean? But I, I certainly don't believe in a greater being that is out there, like judging people and condemning them. So I don't know, Dolly, good on you. I mean, Dolly's gotta be in her seventies, right? maybe even older. I don't know that there's a lot of people in that age group that are out there publicly speaking like this who are are willing to explore their biases and explore the way that they were brought up and look critically inward. And I think that's what Dolly is doing. I think if Dolly heard this, she'd be like, yeah, all right, good for you. Uh, <laughs> I certainly don't think she'd <laughs> she would debate me. That's it. That's what Dolly said. I I am impressed with it. I'm interested in hearing feedback from people. I'm going to talk to people in my community about this. I only really discovered this story when I was doing research for the podcast. Um, but there you have it. So it's November 23rd, Thanksgiving, halftime between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Commanders. Dolly Parton is giving us a gay Thanksgiving dream. All right, that's all we've got today on Out of the Closet Sports. No game time this week because I can't play games with myself. Well, I can, but just not the kind of games that I can let you all listen to. I look forward to seeing everybody next week here on Out of the Closet Sports where we have some exciting guests lined up. For the next two weeks, we've got some great guests lined up. I'm really excited about it. We're going to get a couple of episodes up before the holiday and then we'll be back after that. Thank you so much for listening to Out of the Closet Sports. Please tell your friends family loved ones gay people you see out at bars whatever it is message them on Grindr, scruff any of the apps and say hey go over to out of the closet sports and give them a listen we appreciate it bye step into the world of power loyalty